you knew what was coming, you might be excited. You might be scared. If you knew what was coming, you could be prepared. There's a storm coming in. There's a storm coming, Ari. There is a storm coming! There's a storm coming, brother. There's a storm coming. There's a storm coming. There's a storm coming. I sense there's a storm coming. There's a storm coming! Alice says there's a storm coming. There's a storm coming. Storm's coming. Storm coming soon. Storm's coming. Storm's coming. Storm's coming. Storm's coming. Storm's coming. The great storm is coming. The wind that overturns the land. There is a storm coming. Hey, Cody, there's a storm coming. The storm is coming. You can't sleep outside. There's a storm coming. Storm's coming. There's a storm coming. What? There's a storm coming, buddy. There's a storm coming. Throughout uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he refers to someone who is coming. If you knew who was coming, you might be excited. If you knew who was coming, you might be scared. If you know who is coming, you can be prepared. In each of the talks uh, over the last few weeks, we've been reminded that Jesus is coming. Let's make sure we understand which coming Paul is talking about. Paul is writing to this church uh, about 50 years after Jesus was born and about 20 years after he died. So it's not Jesus coming as a baby in Bethlehem. It's not Jesus coming back to life three days after he was executed. It is a future coming, a coming back. The Bible warns us that Jesus is coming and we can be prepared. We are given life and death information. We are told how to wait for his coming. You can see those two main headings on your outline. The Bible gives us some life and death information about Jesus coming back. We're going to think about this information as the what, how, who, when, where and why. You'll see those um, numbered points on your outline. I'm going to be pretty much just reading through what the Bible says, so it would be helpful if you had the Bible open so you can follow. Paul writes in chapter 4 and verse 13, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve. Paul writes to give information about death. I'm sure many of you have experienced the grief of losing loved ones. I do not know the extent of your grief, but I know we grieve. So is it wrong to grieve? In verse 13, there is no full stop after do not grieve. The sentence continues. Verse 13, 
Do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. This passage is not a prohibition on grief. It is a qualification on grief. Christian grief should be different to the rest of mankind. The rest of mankind grieve without hope. Christians can grieve with hope. So what hope do Christians have? Point one on your outline. Read on, verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Our hope is that when Jesus returns, he will bring with him those who have died. This hope is also for those who are still alive when he comes. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Not only will we meet Jesus, but we will live with him. Verse 17, so we will be with the Lord forever. This is life and death information. It is about living, this is about living forever. This is a serious hope. So how can we be sure of that hope? Point two on your outline. What is the basis for this hope? Read the start of verse 14. Because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Because Jesus died and rose again, we can be sure of our own resurrection. The foundation of our hope is that Jesus died and rose again. We sing about that hope, don't we? When we sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And there's another reason we can be sure of that hope. Verse 15, according to the Lord's word. Jesus himself spoke of our resurrection. So who is going to be with the Lord forever? Point three on your outline. Verse 14, those who have fallen asleep in him. It is those who have trusted in him, those who believe in him. Who is going to meet the Lord and be with him forever? We are, you are, if we are in him. Now, some might say, well, I'm not really into all that Jesus sort of stuff. Well, get in. Get in or be left out. Who does not have this hope of being with the Lord? The rest of mankind. Those who are not in him. The non-believer the non-Christian. And it's not just that they're going to miss out on living with the king. It's worse than that, but more on this later. I'm uh, blessed with good sleep. I fall asleep easily. I sleep soundly. But I'm really hard to wake up. To make sure that I wake up, I set two alarm clocks one on each side of the room, 
over one of them, I tape a mixing bowl so that I've got to peel off the tape before I can turn it off. I sleep through the alarms I have set. Those that have fallen dead asleep will not sleep through the alarm that God has set. Verse 16. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You won't miss it. It will wake you up. While we're talking about the who, don't miss seeing who this passage is all about. You see, in verses 14 to 17, it's on the screen, Jesus died with Jesus in him, the Lord's word, the coming of the Lord, the Lord himself in Christ to meet the Lord with the Lord. You see, life is actually all about Jesus. It's not about us. The trumpet call is not to wake us up, It's to announce the coming of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God's Son, Jesus himself. Oh, and by the way, when he does come, we get to meet with him and live with him forever. Now that's encouraging. As we grieve for those who have fallen asleep in him, it is encouraging to have the sure and certain hope that they will live and we will live with him. As we live with persecution and illness and suffering, it is encouraging that a time has been set when all this comes to an end and we will be with him. Therefore, verse 18, encourage each other with these words. When will Jesus return? Point four on your outline. The Bible does not give us the date of Jesus' return. Chapter five and verse one. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. We do not need to know when Jesus is coming, We need to know he is coming and we need to be prepared. You've heard the expression that someone is in the dark, meaning that they don't know about something, or that somebody has had a light bulb moment, meaning that they have understood something. I think this is what Paul is speaking about when he says, chapter 5, verse 4, you are not in darkness, and verse 5, you are children of the light. 
God's word informs us and his spirit convinces us that Jesus is coming. The Holy Spirit turns the light on so we can see. We are awake to what is happening, not like those who are asleep and unaware. They are in darkness and cannot see what is coming and will be caught by surprise. Wake up. Be ready. Now, sisters, about pregnancy and labour, I am ignorant and I am uninformed. However, I am familiar with school kids. (laughs) For months now, students have known the date of their HSC exam. They have known there will be a day of judgment. (laughs) But for some, through procrastination or diversion or denial, they are not prepared. It is the same with the return of Jesus. Some people have a sense that there will be a time of judgment coming, but they try to block it out. A vague notion that there must be a time of reckoning but it's all too hard to think about. Other places in the Bible warn against drunkenness, but here I think being drunk refers to blocking out knowledge, avoiding thinking about it, fooling yourself about the consequences of Jesus' return. You are in the light You can see and understand what is going to happen, so think clearly. Don't allow your senses to be dulled. Don't be lulled into a sense of complacency. You know that Jesus is coming. Sober up. Be ready. But what should we wear? Point five on your outline. If I know I'm going to work, I wear pretty much what I'm wearing now. If I'm going to a wedding, I might wear a suit. If I'm wearing my shorts and football jumper, I'm going to watch footy on the TV. (laughs) Because we know Jesus is coming, we need to think clearly what we should wear. And the Bible tells us, Verse 8, put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. At the start of the letter, Paul writes in chapter 1 and verse 3, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. You see, faith produces work. Believing that we will live with the king forever means that we will be working hard to please the king now. A faith that believes that Jesus is coming back means that we will be working hard to control our bodies in a way that is holy and honourable. Jesus is coming Wear faith. Love prompts labour. 
God loves us and we are to love each other. Chapter 4, verse 9, you have been taught by God to love each other. Loving each other is hard work. Relationships are a labour of love. Jesus is coming where love. Hope inspires endurance. We spoke of this hope earlier. The hope that we will live with Jesus forever. This hope gives us strength as we grieve for those who have died. This hope helps us endure endure suffering and sickness and persecution while we wait for his return. Jesus is coming where hope. But why? Why did Jesus die? Why did he rise again? Point six on your outline. Because a storm is coming. And God does not want us to be scared. God wants us to be prepared. Chapter 5, 9 and 10. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. The storm that is coming is the wrath of God. I said earlier that it's not just that some are going to miss out living with the king. It's worse than that. Some will suffer the wrath of God. Paul has been reminding us through this letter about the righteous anger of God towards those who ignore him and rebel against him. When Jesus comes back, he will judge. And those who have not believed in Jesus, those who have not made Jesus their king, will be judged and condemned and sentenced to God's wrath. Why did Jesus die? To save us from God's wrath, so that we can escape the death penalty. Why did Jesus rise again? So we can be sure that God's wrath has been satisfied, so that we can be sure the death penalty is removed. The foundation of our hope is this good news. Jesus died and rose again. Now that's encouraging. Therefore, verse 11, encourage one another and build each other up. So while we're waiting for Jesus' return, we should be building each other up. There are three relationships we can be working on. While we wait with our leaders, while we wait with each other, and while we wait with God. Point seven on your outline. Chapter five and verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you and who care for you in the Lord, who admonish you, hold them in the highest regard, in love because of their work, live in peace with each other. I think Paul is writing about the relationship between Christians and their church leaders. 
while we wait for Jesus' return. Note that the church leaders work hard, they care for the church, they caution the church. And the leaders are to be highly regarded. Not because they're anything special in themselves, but because it's the Lord's work that they do. Sometimes a leader might need to correct us in order to strengthen and encourage us in our faith. Don't resent that correction. They want us to stand firm as we wait for the Lord's return. Hold them in high regard and then the church and its leaders will live at peace with each other. Point eight on your outline. Here I think Paul is writing about relationships among Christians while we wait for Jesus' return. Verses 14 and 15. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. We have leaders who care for us, but we should also care for each other. This is the labour prompted by love that we spoke of earlier. There may be difficult, disappointing, argumentative, grouchy, grumpy people in your church. I'm one of them. Maybe you are. Be patient with each other. Love each other as we wait for Jesus' return. Replace revenge with doing good for each other. And, in verse 15, for everyone else. That is, those outside the church. Even those who attack the church. Strive to do what is good for them also. Point nine on your outline. I think Paul is also writing about how we should respond and listen to God while we wait for Jesus' return. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The correct response to God is to rejoice, celebrate joyfully what God has done for us through Jesus. Be persistent in prayer. Don't give up praying for each other, for governments, for justice, for peace, and that the people of Dubbo will hear the word of God. And be thankful for all the blessings of creation and for God's love in saving us from the coming wrath. We may not be thankful for all circumstances, but we can be thankful in all circumstances. We may not always feel like praising, praying, giving thanks, yet we should rejoice, pray and be thankful because, verse 18, this is God's will for us. This is a correct response to God while we wait. Verse 19 and 20. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecy with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. 
reject every kind of evil. I think Paul is writing about how we should listen to God. These verses are about listening to the word of God. We'll come back to verse 19 in a moment. A prophet is one who speaks the word of God. If someone claims to speak God's word, we should neither reject it nor accept it without first testing it. Does the prophecy agree with what God has told us in the scriptures? Does the prophet believe that Jesus died and rose again? Does the prophet's life conform to the scriptures? Does the message bring conviction of sin and the hope of salvation? Paul claimed to speak the word of God and invited his listeners to apply those tests. While we wait for Jesus to come back, we should test the word that we hear from this pulpit, from our growth groups and on the internet. If the word passes the test, hold on to it. If it fails, reject it. So our relationship with God has two elements that are complementary. God speaks to us and we respond to him by rejoicing and praying and giving thanks. And in the middle of listening and responding comes verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Some versions read, do not put out the spirit's fire. The Holy Spirit is a fire that gives both light and warmth. The Spirit shines light on the word of God, showing us what God is saying to us. Do not dim that light. The Spirit warms our heart to respond to God's word with prayer and praise and thankfulness. Do not cool that warming fire. As our music team returns to lead us in singing, let us consider Paul's prayer for the church as they wait for Jesus' return. And it can well be a prayer for us in verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Today, we have been reminded that Jesus is coming. Don't be scared. Paul reminds us that Jesus is coming. Be prepared. Living to please God is hard work. Relationships in church are hard work. We struggle with this, but be at peace. God himself does this work in us. God thoroughly and completely prepares us for the coming of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful. He will do it. Jesus is coming. Be excited. Be prepared. <laughs>